So <clears throat> I'm hoping for better results this year because I like peaches. Our apricot tree out front was a little more patient and it brought forth fruit. Problem is I don't really eat apricots. Our pear tree followed suit. I don't really eat pears. And, and the apple tree in the backyard had a bumper crop and I'm not really an apple guy. So the peach tree is my one tree that I really want to bear fruit. So uh, I really need these heavy freezes to be over because my peach tree's not very smart or he's impatient. I guess that would be the more fair way to label him. But uh, as, as true to my kids, I will, I will put some pictures up. Uh, this gentleman's name is Stu. He's the supervisor. And that, that, that joke goes right in the pot. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Denise reminded me Easter's coming up, so I'm starting to look at some ideas for a new suit maybe. Uh, we got one last night. Uh, this one was a couple weeks ago on the Winter Olympics. Probably not going to rock the pink. But, but this one, I mean, the, the pregame concert performance before the Duke-North Carolina game, uh, a friend of mine from Oregon was watching it, and, and he, I sent him this picture, and he laughed, and then my buddy from Louisiana chimes in that his son says, Dad, it looks like he's wearing a rug. <laughs> and, and I can remember a day in time where it looks like he's wearing a rug meant a toupee, but... This really does look like a rug that was in the sitting room at my great-grandma's house. So maybe that's, okay, probably not. But uh, random picture of me and my kids, it will all come back here in a second because we're, we're continuing the series on identity. Uh, and the... The part of the identity we're going to look at today that you have in Christ, and, and my kids are just now starting to figure out, hey, we are all there. And Jovi's like, I wish I hadn't made that face. <laughs> and Titus is holding a, a stuffed monkey, so Maurice made this picture too. Uh, but the, the part of the identity we're going to speak to today is, as I was going through this, I'm, I'm almost, I hate to re say regret going to this message today because it would be a great Father's Day message. And that doesn't mean that the ladies in the room get to check out because the, the, the fact that it's masculine language doesn't give you a free pass because, uh, well, you'll see in a minute. But the, this is Xavier and I last week going to rid ourselves of the satellite. Uh, and if I look like I'm sitting awkwardly, it's because my brother's wheat truck doesn't have any covering for the springs in the seat. And, and that makes for a really fun ride. Uh, and you can still see some of the junk we need to do something with out the window there. But, but the identity we want to look at this morning is, is... God calls you son. And, and this is a hard 
thing to communicate to people because we live in a world that gets so triggered by by even the thought that that God may just speak to one gender or the other and, and the Bible is is pretty clear in this and, and the reason I'm preaching it from this perspective is unlike uh, a Supreme Court justice. I know biology and I know that I am a man and I will always be a man and I will always be a son. I in no way, shape or form can be a daughter. And if you need to, for the sake of modern times, women flip the, the title to you're a daughter, that's okay, but it won't completely fit with some of what's being said today. And I want you to understand that's not a bad thing because I could go preach this an entirely different sermon in talking to you about God calls you a bride. But I cannot speak from the perspective of a bride. So I'm doing what I can speak from and I am a son. And, and I, I know that as a Christian, I am the bride of Christ. But it is hard for me to identify with a bride. Praise the Lord. Somebody could give me an amen there. Break the awkward silence. Because I will never, I will never in this world understand what it is to be a bride. I just won't. Praise God, he made me a man. Praise God, and we'll get to some of that. But this is the, the verse that God gave me the day I got saved. And, and, and I'll try not to get choked up because when I was lost in sin, I was really struggling with identity. And for God to open His Word, because as I prayed at the altar, I said, God, I need concrete proof that you are who you say you are and that you're going to speak to me through this Bible, not just somebody standing on a stage sharing the Word of God with me, but you're going to speak to me. I need proof and I'm just going to flop my Bible open and you show me. And I did. I flopped a Bible open on the altar and Psalms 2 verse 7 says, I will tell you the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. You want to talk about radically transforming my view of God in a moment that was already transforming because I'd already believed in my heart that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that God rose Him from the dead. And I had confessed that with my mouth, but I needed to know that that wasn't where it was going to end. And God spoke to me through His Word. And he, he spoke into my identity in a way that will never be taken from me. When he said, and he didn't just say it. Look at the language here. I will tell you the decree of the Lord. A decree is a legal binding contract from a person in authority. Not just a person in authority, if you know the language of the day, but from the king. The king of all eternity was speaking to me through his word and he said, you are my son and today I've begotten you, which means I have gone back to another part of our identity. I've redeemed you. I have laid claim to you. 
I have put all of the rights and privileges of my family onto you. And I'll tell you, as a, as a 20-year-old kid at the altar, it was like there was a fire shut up in my bones because I couldn't get away from the fact that God called me son. Being a son carries the rights and the duties in relationship with the father. You, you can be somebody's son, but if you're going to be somebody's son, there, there are not only rights, but there are duties that are involved there. And, and this will really strike a chord with men. Uh, ladies, I'll tell you, you have rights and duties as a daughter as well. And, and the, the hard part, the first point is the one that's kind of a hard part because the first right and duty of a son is to carry the name of his father. It's hard to, to really relay that because the majority of the women in the room today are married and they no longer carry the name of their father. But... That's the beauty of the gospel because the, the picture in that is that you chose, you chose to carry the name of Jesus as a bride. Okay, I'm just, I'm trying to, trying to pull you back in where, and, and don't leave me because again, I'm speaking the language I know. Acts chapter 9, verse 15, But the Lord said to him, and this is the account of Ananias going to pray for Saul, who would become Paul. He, goes, he says, Go to him, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. This is one of the few instances where God singled somebody out and said, He's chosen to carry my name. Let me tell you, at the point where you accepted Jesus into your heart, you became known as what to the rest of the world? A Christian. You are carrying the name of Christ by what you profess. Now, you, you want to slip back into that. We've already talked about the part of your identity that you were chosen. You were chosen to carry the name of Christ. This fits both a bride and a son. So you were chosen to carry the name. And we could go back to that, that verse, I want to say it's in Ephesians, that Paul talks about by the spirit of adoption we cry, Abba, Father. We recognize God is our Father. But a lot of times that's where we leave the identification. We leave it on God's side where, yes, you're a father. Well, guess what? If he's a father, I'm a son. Denise is a daughter. And we're called to the first duty and right that we have is to carry the name. Jesus said in John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, now that's going to lead us into the next part, 
where with rights and duties and and people get bent out of shape when you say duties because well my kids get bent out of shape because they think i'm talking about a messy diaper <clears throat> adults get bent out of shape because they're like oh great one more thing i have to do be fair we we get tired of having to do things especially if we're retired you know i'm never going to be there so I don't know what that's like. I can't fathom it. I will never be there. And people are like, oh, yeah, you no, probably won't. I'm just telling you, five kids, two of them are going to start school next year. You do the math. <laughs> yeah. But the next right or duty that you have as a son or a daughter is to bring glory to the Father. How many of you, real quick survey in the room, how many of you parents are proud of your kids? You can show hands. Good stuff. Good. Good. Okay. My kids, I hope you see my hand is raised. Hopefully you're taking notes, kids, because we're going to talk about this later. Bringing glory to the Father does not always mean that you have to do exactly what your Father does. Okay. <clears throat> this is a picture from earlier in the year. Uh, this is my dad with his three sons and and i'll just tell you how we roll in the manning family and a lot of families are just like this if you marry into the family you know you get claimed as a son you know whether it's in law or in blood you get declared a son and we went and tore it up on lake texoma you know something my dad had always wanted to do Dad really wasn't the one ripping a whole lot of lips that day. It kind of fell to the rest of us. Uh, but Dad got to sit there in the picture. I think he caught maybe three fish. Okay, three out of 64 is not a big percentage. And, and you know, it's something where sons, this is a practical picture of it, sons are called to bring glory to their father. And in John 15, verse 8, Jesus tells us, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As a son or a daughter of God, you're called to bring glory to God. And that doesn't mean you just run shouting through the supermarket like a weirdo, trying to be an angel at Christmas, glory to God in the highest. No, okay? No, Denise has picked out that second hymn. She was subliminally trained to that because I broke out an old 1991 Nintendo game this week called Spiritual Warfare. I am really glad that I did not get my theology from this video game because this video game has all the hymn music. You know, Jesus Saves is one of their primary 8-bit music with no lyrics, just do 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 Anyways, you walk around throwing the fruit of the Spirit at people to convert them. The, the quest of the game is to acquire all of the pieces of the armor of God. I've never beat the game because I can't take it. I, I, I start laughing too much and I just can't put the time into it that it takes to beat it. I've only ever acquired two fruits of the Spirit, 
which, you know, the pear, you can throw it really fast. It doesn't fly very far. But the second fruit you get is an apple. And I mean, you can throw that baby all the way across the screen, but it goes really slow. So you have to time it out. And every now and again, an angel shows up to ask you questions that gives you spirit power. And it's all good until when the screen comes up asking you questions, there's this weird howdy doody doll type thing that has this bow tie. When you get it right, it spins and, and his mouth moves really creepy. And I mean, whoever designed this game, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, there is no real fruit that ever came from this game. And, and then Denise, sure enough, sings that song. So I'm over here laughing. Uh, I, I know that <clears throat> Willa saw me over here just fighting laughter the whole time we're singing Jesus Saves. It's not because Jesus Saves is funny. It's because that stupid video game <laughs> has you running around throw fruit at people and occasionally a demon comes out of them and you have to throw fruit at the demon. And I mean, it's, it's, an, awful day. it's an awful day that I spent just trying to beat this because my kids were like, it's a cool game, Dad. <laughs> no, it's not. It's really not. It's it's bad eight bit, it's bad eight bit uh, theology, I guess. But what are we doing to glorify the Father? Are are we going out and and bearing fruit, or are we like the weirdo in the video game? We're just throwing our fruit at people, hoping something sticks. 1 Corinthians 10.31, this will hit us a little closer to home. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What are you doing? What are you doing and can you bring God glory through it? That's that's a tough foundational question when, when you make choices in life. You know, the majority of people that I would hammer this one home to, who you marry. Is that going to bring glory to God or not? And if you, any of them catch the playback, if you're marrying somebody that's a mission field, that's not smart. You're not going to bring glory to God. You're going to bring yourself heartache and pain. Don't intentionally yoke yourself together with unbelief. Okay, okay, we won't do pre-marriage counseling today. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'm not saying all you can do is work and good works, but that's one of the primary ways that Jesus said people would see and give glory to God. You don't have to film yourself going to give food to a homeless person, okay? I'll just throw that cheap shot in there, okay? In Revelation 14, 7, he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, and the sea and the springs of water. When I see bad news on the news in our world, wars, rumors of wars, natural disasters, my heart hurts for those people, but at the same time, I give God glory. Because that's another sign that he's about to set up his eternal kingdom on earth. It's, he's about to send Jesus back as the righteous judge. 
First time he's sent him as an atoning sacrifice. The second time he's sending him as a righteous judge. And I want to be found giving him glory when that happens. The rights and duties of sons, and I, I put it in quotes so that ladies in the room would know, fill in your word, brides or daughters, either one fits. But continue the mission of the father with his authority. I had to dig deep for this picture. Okay. This is a picture of my siblings and I when we were much younger. And this is around the time we started working in the Tiger Hut. Uh, my primary job when I started in the business was drying silverware. Not a hard task for a four or five-year-old kid. Just use a towel, make sure there's no water spots, and put it in the right bin. My Sunday school teacher proudly reported to my parents that that JJ has an idea of why he's going to like heaven because he won't have to do silverware. <laughs> All right. The, the mission of my parents was not necessarily their business. Okay. If, it'd be very easy to look at this picture and which of these three children went on to run a restaurant? None of us. Which of these three children is planning to run a restaurant? None of us. Because we, we saw that if you're going to run a cafe or a restaurant, you have to put your heart and soul into it. And you have to make sacrifices that, I'll just be honest, that for the sake of my family, I'm not willing to make. And... And if you ever hear me speak of the restaurant, it's not always with glowing and, and loving terms because of sacrifices my parents made. And you would think that I was bitter against my parents for it. I want you to understand I'm not because the, the mission and the legacy that my parents had went beyond the cafe. I, I learned a, a lot of things through growing up there. I, I learned how to comfort people who were in a time of loss. I can only think of a, a handful of funerals that took place at, at our church there in Laverne where dad didn't fry up two or three whole chickens and take them to the dinner. It, it was never a case that they had to worry about would there be meat at the funeral dinner. And, and dad did. Dad tried to put together a, a community Thanksgiving meal where people could come and, and eat free will donation or, you know, one year we didn't really take donations because it snowed and we delivered probably 80 meals on the back of a tractor. I still don't know whose tractor it was. My dad didn't own a tractor. But I, I learned about caring for people. In the cafe, I learned about honoring people in the cafe because we would host banquets where they would give awards, and the, those were the times that we didn't get to do the tea and the water. The older wait staff had to do that. I got to carry dessert to people, which always made them smile. But you got to see a a legacy of 
of how you treat and care for people, how you deal with unruly people. And, and I got to see more than my share of them when we would open up after the homecoming dance and we would have a, a buffet from like two to four in the morning and, and the majority of the crowd that came in was intoxicated. I got to see how you deal with people who were just, nowadays would be labeled a Karen. I, I learned about race working in the cafe. I had never seen a person of color until a truck driver came in. I had more tact than my brother. And thankfully, this guy was a good Christian man that, that sat down and, and really kind of almost gave us a hard time about, you didn't know that Jesus loves the little children of the world? He loves them so much he makes some of them different colors? And I learned all of that under the legacy of my, of my parents. And I want you to understand that we have a, a legacy where I talked about all those things that I still try to practice hospitality. I still try to, to practice comforting people in a time of loss, honoring people that have done great things and, and dealing with people who a lot of people don't want to deal with. And we have that same legacy left to us by God the Father through Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19, it says, And Jesus came to them, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All authority, all the authority of the Father had been given to the Son. And because of that authority, we were being given a directive to carry on the legacy and to carry it on in that authority because if you go back to what we've already read, Jesus said, if you'll ask these things in my name, I will do them. Mark 16, verses 15 through 18, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, I promise you, we're not going down the road of picking up snakes in church. Okay, that is not what that statement meant. Okay, if, if you follow and read on into Acts, you'll see that Paul gets bit by one of the most deadly serpents in that region of the world, shakes it off into the fire, and does not even get sick or die. It does not mean you all become Winoka rattlesnake hunters. I saw an advertisement for that, and I still, every time I see it, I think, these people are not right in the head. Okay, I, I will pick up and move a bull snake, screaming like a little girl while I do it, but I'm going to do it to get it out of there, because that snake needs to live and go kill as many rattlers as he can and eat mice and, and do what bull snakes do. But rattlesnake, if I have means, motive, and opportunity, I'm murdering it. 
Okay, it's not going to get a chance to go get strung out and displayed and eventually become a belt. No. If, if I have my weapon of choice, it's a 12 gauge. I splatter that snake across whatever I can. Not, I'm not that guy. But I want you to understand, we have the authority and the, the supernatural authority and power that follows our lives through the Holy Spirit that allows us to do things that don't make sense. It allows us to, when everybody else is losing their mind with, with the chaos and the craziness of this world, it allows us to be stable and, and to be confident in who we are and who God called us to be. It allows you to go to the first part of that statement where you can go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. I want you to hear that this morning. You can go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, but the reality is until you step into that identity, you'll be afraid to proclaim the gospel in your own house. You'll be afraid to proclaim the gospel to your children. Peter's not the only one who was terrified of the questions of a little girl. We live in a society full of Christians who because we don't have our identity rooted in Jesus, that we don't step into the fullness of His power and speak the Gospel. And I'm telling you that some of the serpents that are out there are not this slithering rattlesnake I'm terrified of. Some of the, the serpents that we're supposed to take up are those topics that people are afraid to touch and talk about. I'll just tell you parents, grandparents, if you're unwilling to talk to your children about the tough topics of this world and hold them to the fire of God's Word for your children to see the truth in God's Word, the world is more than happy to get in line and let them handle snakes. That is the reality in which we live. Oh man. Acts 1 verses 7 and 8. Maybe 7. I can't tell here because it got cut off. Is it cut off up there? Yep. Bad PowerPoint. <clears throat> he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the season, but the Father is fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I'm glad I don't have control over the times and the seasons because I would mess with people. July 4th, we'd be having a snowball fight. Because if you could mess with the times and the seasons, I mean, what's wrong with you know a, a hard enough snow that it accumulates for us to have a snowball fight in the middle of the afternoon on July 4th and still be rocking those shorts to the barbecue at 5 o'clock? This is why God doesn't put me in charge of the times and the seasons. But God has fixed them by His own authority. But the same God who put all of that into motion and has all of that in control has given you the power and the authority through the Holy Spirit to share the gospel. 
And if we broke this down very simply in your own home, in your sphere of friends and influence, in this community, in this state, in this nation, and then the world. You don't just jump out there and impact the whole world. Because I can tell you the majority of the world has no idea who we are. We, we talked about that a little bit in Sunday school too. We get gate and gauge confused. Sometimes they leave out the T and just make it gay friends church and that's not us either. And I'm just telling you, the world may not know who we are, but our families do. Our community does. More and more and more, our area knows us. What happens when our state begins to know us? If your state knows you, there's a good chance your country is going to start to know you. When the whole country knows you, the world's going to know you. There's a path and a progression to the sharing of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 and 11. And this is following up a, a message on giving and tithing. It's really, really an interesting passage of Scripture. You can go back and catch that part of it. Good stuff. But he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through God, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I threw that in there because the, the reality of sharing the gospel is God has given you. He's the one who gives seed. He's the one who gives bread for food, our daily bread. He's the one who gives us that. You don't have to worry about sharing the gospel and messing it up because he's going to give you what you need. And sometimes all you're called to do is sow seed. I think on Scott's best day, he could go out and yell at his wheat field, I command you to grow, and it will not grow. It might take a little bit of the carbon dioxide and say, hey, thanks, photosynthesis. But it's not going to make it grow. We're called to share the gospel. We can't make other people receive it. That's between them and God. But I'm telling you that if you're willing to sow that seed and to be generous with sowing that seed, and I'm not talking about money there. I'm talking about you be generous and willing to share the gospel with anyone you meet. There's going to be a harvest that produces thanksgiving to God. Where those people will be thankful to God for you. They'll know that you are a son of God because you shared the gospel. What's your identity? And some of these are kind of tough to read because we had to squeeze a bunch of them on there. And this is just part of who you are. You're a friend of God. 
You're forgiven by God. You've been redeemed. You're chosen. You're a winner. And you're a son or a daughter or a bride, however you want to list it. When you begin to encapsulate your identity by seeing yourself like God sees you, you'll begin to see the world like God sees it. You want to be moved with compassion like Jesus was? And you'll see that over and over in Scripture. He was moved with compassion on the multitudes. I, I see, thanks to digital media, we get to see a multitude of people every day. And, and my heart breaks for what the multitude is chasing after. But when you know who you are, that's when you can fully start to become who God made you to be. Because you have an identity that's hidden in Christ. Heavenly Father, thank You for today. Lord, thank You that our identity is in You. Lord, that You have called us so much more than we got to go into in this series and and that your word was given to help us know you and know who you want us to be. God, as we prepare to go our separate ways this week, Father, I just pray that you would continually stir up your word in our heart. And, and Lord, help us just to, to dive deeper into identifying ourselves like you do. And Lord, above all, help us to, to have the courage to share the gospel. Lord, we're, we're in the, the fourth quarter of mankind and, and we were called to win. And we win by bringing more and more people into your kingdom, by introducing them to your son, Jesus. Lord, give us the strength and the courage to, to tell the world who He is and, and what He's done for us. Lord, we love You and we praise You and we give You all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.